It's the 1920s and everyone is merrily enjoying the time at the Great Gatsby's five-star mansion. The very image of glamour from the garden and decor to the food. People are giving toasts just because they can. You have dancers driving the party and it's impossible to take your eyes away from the crowd. And I mean the fancy and incredibly expensive outfits dazzling in every single direction. The Great Gatsby himself seems to be the hot gossip that everyone's been gushing over despite the fact that his identity is hidden from the party. Why was this man throwing a party he couldn't even enjoy? Who was he? I give you two options, quite obvious to myself anyway. Jay Gatsby, an arrogant, obnoxious and boastful millionaire, or Jay Gatsby, a broken man de determined to find the love of his life. Let's find out. Hey guys, this is Charlotte, and you're listening to my very first podcast of the Charlotte's Web Series. This podcast series has been in the works for quite a long time, and I've been eager to finally showcase my content. Movies and cinema have, and always will be, a huge part of who I am. I've always looked forward to the full cinema experience, whether it be the salty popcorn I seems never-ending, the trailers which I actually look forward to, and even at one guy, and it's always the same guy who keeps on telling me to be quiet because I speak way too much. Well, sir, you better find a seat, because now... I'm attempting to make a career out of my so-called chit-chatter, which I will continue for the next 10 minutes or so. If it wasn't already obvious, I will be exploring the enchanting world of the Great Gatsby. No matter how old you are or what genre you like, you'd be lying if you weren't completely enthralled in Jay's alluring world. However, not everything is as chic as it seems. Aside from celebrating love, wealth, and the American dream, was the 1920s really that glamorous? Or was it a period of greed, betrayal, and how money and power should define who you are? Wow, the 1920s. A face value, I honestly thought it was all about the parties, dresses, and elites. I mean, my knowledge at this point was limited to that one dress-up party I went to, where I draped these like beautiful pearls around my neck and wore a really cute tats dress. So then I guess I realised I needed to do a little bit more research. The first thing I found was an article titled The Twenties, A Period of Dramatic, Social and Political Change. So at this point, I instantly knew I needed to reevaluate my take on this. As I dug deeper, of course, I started finding out that most Americans were in some way like uncomfortable with this new, sometimes racy mass culture. The 1920s, in fact, brought more conflict than celebration. Lamad really wanted to explore the dual nature of the 20s, so to do this, he tells the story from the perspective of Nick. He's a writer and Wall Street trader who finds himself incessantly drawn to the infamous man next door. Far out. Oh, my neighbours are so bloody boring. Okay, so we've got this family on one side with this kid who's like, oh, nine, maybe ten. Okay, I can't tell you exactly when this, like, started out, but he's picked up a bit of an interest in music and... Feels the need to share with the whole neighborhood. I mean, it's like 6 a.m. in the morning, and this little guy's playing the goddamn trumpet. Quite poorly, if I do say so myself. And oh, and then on the other side, I've got this old lady. Um, she quite possibly could have been around the 20s. How, actually, how old would that? How old would that make her? Anyway, I can't do the maths. Imagine living next to a super awesome millionaire and attending his parties each night, digging into food buffet. What a dream that would be. <laughs> From this point of view, it's it's really hard to find something bad about the 20s. However, in the 20s, there was a lot of systemic racism, and the tension between social classes was really growing. It's sad to think that you could mistreat someone and there'd be little to no consequences. 
how you looked, dressed, spoke, and where you lived characterize you completely. Don't get me wrong, these things are still very much around today, but it really hit a peak in the 20s. Actually, I'd like to read a little part of the script for you guys now, just to, just to spotlight these social conditions. Tom goes, Daisy, can't see who this guy is, with his house and his parties and his fancy clothes. He's just a front for Wolfsheen, a gangster, to get his claws into respectable fault at Walter Chase. Then Jay Gatsby cleverly replies, The only respectable thing about you, Walter is your money. Your money. That's it. Now, I think these two lines are pretty interesting because, well, number one, they're both being completely blunt with each other. And number two, they're straight up accusing each other of, like, using their expenses to dazzle Daisy, which, I, to be honest, is pretty evident in the film and also in real life. I mean, think about it. We all know that one guy who uses their wealth and their social status to you know, win a girl's heart, which, in my opinion, is a pretty terrible way of getting into a relationship. So, then, can you get away with doing anything during the 1920s that the whole city suddenly gossiping about the next day? The answer is, (laughs) no, you can't get away with it at all. Why? Well, because everyone's being watched, and at the same time, everyone's watching each other, and they're watching everything. It's not just who they're speaking to, but their behaviour, the way they dress, well, car they drive, where they shop, I mean, it's everything. It's like the whole of New York is covered with security cameras. You shoplift, everyone knows about it. You get into a new relationship, no worries, everyone knows. You fight, they know too. It's an ongoing cycle that seems never-ending. It's as though gossip is at the very core of society, a construct on which everything is built. What is interesting, well to me anyway, is that many scientists and philosophers have already proven this to be true, that gossip is the basic foundation to our human relationships. Yuval Harari, the author of Sapiens, which I highly recommend, actually talks about gossip being an evolutionary adaptation from which humans throughout time built social connections, learnt who to trust and found the basic laws of living. But how much of this gossip was actually true? How willing are humans to manipulate to chit-chatter and blatantly lie? Well, in the world of the Great Gatsby, there is clearly no moral centre. Whether or not it's obvious, every character is shown to be delusional, violent, selfish, but, but at the same time is able to reflect on who is good and who is bad. Well, to them anyway. Even Nick, who, as a narrator, is obsessively meant to reflect on the good and bad, Turns out to be some kind of misogynist bigot. Ugh. None of these characters have any faith, but all in some way reach out and try to find it. Fitzgerald quite cleverly communicated this through the alluring eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg, a pair of fading bespectacled eyes painted on an old advertising billboard over the Valley of Ashes. There are many interpretations to what this means, so of course I've been trying to read as many as I can, thinking about it from all these perspectives. But the one I've chosen to stand by is that the eyes represent God judging America, which has become a total moral wasteland. I actually found something that's pretty interesting, and I want to read it to you guys. The billboard watches the site of the novel's biggest moral failures. On a more local level, the garage is the place where Daisy kills Myrtle. But on a bigger scale, the ash heaps of Queens show what happens to those who cannot succeed in the ambitious, self-serving, predatory world of the Roaring Twenties that Fitzgerald finds so objectionable. 
The problem, of course, is that this billboard, this completely inanimate object, cannot stand in for a civilizing and moral influence. However, much of the characters who notice it cower under its gaze. Cool, isn't it? So, then why was the Roaring Twenties roaring? Well, according to Dr. Google, this name came from economic prosperity. In the years leading to the Great Depression, the economy was booming, and people were making way more money than ever before. So, what happens when you make too much? Well, about the same thing that happens to me around my birthday. Guilt-free shopping trips. For me, this obviously isn't the worst thing, but for Americans in the 20s, this meant great debt. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't be so general. Some Americans, I guess, remain ridiculously wealthy in this time. Like Jay Gatsby, for instance. He was wealthy enough to throw these world-class parties, like, every night. I mean, Gatsby's party's gone for quite some time, and after attending only one of his parties, Nick finds out about the bigger story behind the mansion and the ongoing celebrations. Why throw all these parties when you're not even there to enjoy the fun? Get this. Jay Gatsby is doing this. For love. I mean, I'm only 16, so... I guess I, guess I don't really know much about love. However... I have been told it could make you do some pretty stupid things. How about Romeo and Juliet, for instance? Two star-crossed lovers who cross paths at a Montague party and automatically decide to get married the day after they meet. And, yeah, before we say anything, of course they don't end up living happily ever after. Instead, they end up sacrificing themselves in the name of true love. Ugh, now that I look back at it, Shakespeare was so brutal. Anyway. Up next we have Fifty First Dates, the intriguing but strange tale of a young vet named Henry falling in love with Lucy who suffers from short-term memory loss. So Henry attempts to win her heart each day, begging her praying that she too will somehow feel the same, despite the fact that Lucy never recalls the first time they met. <laughs> yeah, like that's ever gonna work. Oh, and do not get me started on the notebook. A poor but passionate young man named Noah suddenly falls in love with Allie, who comes from a pretty rich family. The universe, or should I say her parents, so dramatically split them up, and during that time of separation, he builds a dream house to the very last detail with the hope that someday she will return. Oh, and, oh, and he also, like, writes her, like, every day for a year. Yes, I know, it's super cliche. But, you know, they get back together in this, like, super dramatic thunderstorm scene, and it's all happy days and rainbows until she gets dementia. Noah reads a novel of their love every day to this girl with the hope that she will remember, etc, etc, they both die together. Ugh, fine. Okay, I would be lying if I said that wasn't cute, but still, love makes us act super crazy. The rather unrealistic tale of Jay Gatsby and Daisy began and began around five years before the time frame of the film, where Gatsby met Daisy while living in a town called Louisville before he left to fight in World War II. At the time, Daisy was a, you know, a young wealthy heiress, while Jay was in a completely different social class. <laughs> I guess my friends are, t are telling the truth when they say opposites attract. <laughs> anyway. In Daisy had mistaken Gatsby as someone who was equally as rich, sir, and she fell in love. So did he. Hard and fast. He made the decision to live the lie, which, to his benefit, allowed their relationship to grow. <laughs> While their relationship was still developing, they unfortunately hit a bit of a roadblock. Gatsby had to leave for the war, and by the time he returned to the United States, 
Gatsby, Daisy had moved on and married a wealthy and nasty businessman named Tom Buchanan. Ugh, even his name is irritating. But that doesn't stop Gatsby. He is so determined to win back a heart, using the thing that would interest a young woman over class most. Money. He gets involved in crimes to make enough, and when he finally does, he uses it to lure her in. Honestly, why couldn't he just give up and move on? I mean, love makes us crazy. If she truly loved him, what, what if she married off so easily? Now, this is when we reach the, around the beginning of the film, where he's finally ready to try and win her back like a prized possession of Skittles and Tim Tams. However, he seems to have forgotten the fact that, like, Daisy was already married to Tom, and for three years, and they already had a child. But, of course, that wasn't a problem for Jay. So, did his genius plan turn out the way he hoped? Could he... Rewind the past and pretend nothing had ever happened? No and no. Well then, I mean, we wouldn't have a story. But it's a long one. In fact, over two hours worth of storytelling. So, you know, I'm just going to cut some bits that I think tell the best. One of my favourite scenes in the film is when Jay and Daisy meet again for the first time in five years. At Nick's place. That first glance is almost electric. A mid-shot, going back and forth between each character's long stare, creates this unspoken magic where their eyes tell a story that their words cannot do justice. I mean, there's at least 10 meters between the characters, but by the end of the scene, they're like 10 centimeters away. Still staring, still completely locked in movement. At this moment, even the rain stops. Yes, I know, yes, it's super cliche. But, let's all be honest, it adds heaps of dramatic effect. He soon takes her to his mansion, and while Daisy stays in awe at the castle, she asks him if he's lonely. You know, I thought Gatsby's reply was pretty interesting, as he answers, I keep it always full of interesting celebrated people. The parties and the hustle and bustle is all just to fill a void. I mean, can we blame him? If I had all that money, I mean, I'd be hosting a party each night. Now, this, connect this connection between both characters, this tension... It just grows. I mean, the tipping point for me was the scene where Gatsby leads Daisy to his bedroom, starts grabbing different outfits off shelves and throws them down to her, where she's dancing on his bed, laughing and screaming and trying to catch clothes. I mean, it's like another interpretation of the Harry Potter scene where, you know, Harry's trying to grasp the letters with the biggest smile on his face. This scene I find fascinating due to the fact that Gatsby is literally showering her with expensive outfits and clothing just to win her back. I mean, he may as well just rain flying notes of money and golden coins on her head. In my opinion, this is probably the most unrealistic scene out of the whole film. But I wouldn't be complaining. Clearly this is all too emotional for her, and she ends up crying amongst the mountain of the world's finest linen. Ugh, you know, I could think of worse places to cry, jeez. Eventually, the tears and days pass, and we have a scene where the camera flips and pans between both Daisy and Gatsby, as they both gaze into each other's eyes in the woods just outside Gatsby's mansion. You can tell that the special spark between those two, mm-hmm. This just goes to show how unbelievably powerful love can be. Then, when they share their first kiss in the woods, it's like the sparks immediately transform into fireworks. But a kiss doesn't really mean much. I mean... Ever kisses all it takes. I'm sure we'd all be happily married. And so, in perfect cinematic drama style, a fight begins where both men bellowed out for who loves her the most. Again, 
not the worst position to be in. Well, for Daisy, perhaps. Anyway, when the, when the arguments settle and push comes to shove, Daisy, quite regretfully, picks Tom. All the parties, the lying, the plotting, any emotion, all for nothing. So, so where did that leave Jay? Ultimately dead. And finally, at the very dusk of the movie, the camera films a shadow of a bootlegger with a gun, stalking down to the poolside and shooting Gatsby directly in the chest. He falls into the pool, lifeless. The close-up shot of Gatsby dating across the Daisy's house for the last time and the extreme close-up of Daisy's hand about to pick up the phone just as he shot is heartbreaking and terrifying the audience. I mean, when I watched that scene for the very first time, I was literally standing in front of the TV shouting, Hey, Gatsby, turn around, grab a weapon, and destroy that guy! Pointlessly hoping they would have somehow heard my instructions and followed them. This, this scene fortifies how your social status and worth can earn you death-threatening consequences, despite the fact that he was really just a man who held the desire of being with a woman he truly loves. At the end of the day, what is money and wealth when he, when he can't even have true happiness? Now, I hope you've had your notebooks out and have been scribbling down notes for the past 15 minutes. Phew, oh my god, I'm definitely going to need like 2 litres of water after this, but thank you guys so much for listening to my first podcast, and I hope you now have your annual dose of the fascinating world of the Great Gatsby. This, this podcast is the first of many, and I'm so glad I can use my love and knowledge of film to educate and enlighten you guys. If you have any comments or questions about this podcast, please reach out to me. I'm super keen to hear your feedback. Now, before I go, I want to leave on a departing thought that I would like you to reflect on after you finish this podcast and get on with your day. Despite the long-lasting dream of The Great Gatsby finally coming to an end, could the death of Jay Gatsby and his desires be metaphorical for something else?